Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What is your worth? What do you think your worth is? Do you feel sad sometimes that you think that, oh, I'm nobody. I don't have any value. I'm here. It's fine. I'm not here. No one cares. You ever think that? Do you ever think that your life has no value, no meaning? Or you think that you're something important. But it doesn't mean that we don't have a value. Our value is not inherent in us. The value is not because that you are special or you are, you somehow you have some kind of special ability that makes you special. No. Our value is only because Jesus Christ gave his life for your life. That's your value. Your value is the value of the Son of God. So anytime that you think to even say that you have no value, think again. Because Jesus Christ paid his life for your life. That's how much you're worth. Your life is worth the life of the Son of God. He died for you. The Apostle Paul is incredulous here when he said he started this verse with what don't you know you should know this already this is something that every christian should know that you are not your own you don't belong to yourself you don't get to choose what i would do or what my future would be you have been bought you belong to someone else don't you know that he is astounded that the corinthians did not know this Don't you know that you don't belong to yourself? Don't you know that your life is not yours to determine what you should do or should not do? Do you not know that? The church and Christian today, we think that we own our future. We do what we want to do because what? We're free. But the apostle Paul said, no, you're not. You're not free. Don't you know that you belong to someone else? Don't you know that the Lord Jesus Christ Pay the price for you, and now you belong to Him. Don't you know that? That's where we want to start today. You are not your own. He was in disbelief. Doesn't the church know this? What have you been taught? Don't you know that you have no authority over your time? You have no authority over what you will be? Everything that you are and everything that you should be should be God's. God should determine, and God does determine what you will be and who you will be. But then you say, but I still live my life the way I want to. Then I would say this, that you are outside of the will of God. You are not in the will of God. And when you are outside of the will of God, there is no peace. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Your life will go from one misery to the next. There is no peace when you are outside the Son of God. Your value is determined by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid a high price for you so that today we live for ourselves. Does that make sense? It makes no sense that Jesus Christ paid for us and we said, well, whenever I have time, I go worship the Lord. It makes no sense. And if the apostle is here, he would be appalled with the churches today. That we live the way that we want to. Our families, the way that we conduct our lives. We tell our kids they can be whatever they want to be. Instead of saying, you got to be the Lord's. Don't you know that you're not your own? You don't belong to yourself. This individuality, this turn to self has become a problem to the scripture. 
because the scripture does not give us the liberty to live the way that we want to. The scripture we will see today tells us that we belong to God. Our lives should be lived in such a way that it glorifies God. Can you conclude that your life today, that you live your life in glorification to God? Is that how you live your life today? You have been bought with a price. Let's begin there. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that is hanged on the tree. You and I, we are supposed to be hanged on that tree for our sin. We are supposed to be cursed and damned forever. That is who we are. That's what we're supposed to be. And because our ancestor, Adam, violated God's law, we forever in the grasp of the serpent that betrayed us. The serpent, the devil, in the garden, tempted Eve, and she took a bite, and he fell. The whole human race after Adam is in the grip of the devil. And only through the preaching of the Son of God who was sent, he was sent by God, incarnate in the form of a man. He went throughout Judea, planted the seed of faith as he went, and he planted the seed, and some people believe his word. And when they believe his word, they were set free from the serpent. John chapter 8, verse 34. Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. You might not take what I said that you came from Adam. The reason that we confirm this. If you have not ever done anything wrong then in your entire life, then you did not come from Adam. But for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all, meaning everyone. And in fact, the Bible says God has placed everyone except for one. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone under sin, under the curse of the law, under the curse of sin. So that here is the reason the Lord Jesus Christ might appear and destroy the work of the devil. That's what he was born to do. Sinners are slaves to sin. Each one of us are slaves to sin. I'll give you a very small example. When you do something wrong, go on in your mind. Fear. Where does that come from? Why do you fear? Because you've done something that you know is wrong. Well, why is it wrong? Because there's something in you in your conscience tell you that there's something that's right and there's something that's wrong. And when you've done something wrong, there's fear. And that is the testimony, that is the witness that you are a sinner. When you fear, that fear is a witness that you are a sinner. What does Jesus Christ do? How can he set us free from the grip of the devil? So now you are wrapped around by this snake, by this serpent, you belong to him. How does Jesus set you free from the snake, from the serpent? He that commits sin is of the devil. When you sin, you belong to the devil. The devil wraps his hands around you just like a serpent. You belong to him. For the devil sinned from the beginning. Sinner belonged to the one that sinned, and that was the devil. For this purpose, and for this purpose, that the devil sinned and captured everyone who ever lived, for this purpose, the Son of God, the living Word, the incarnate second person in the Trinity, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
The only person who can destroy the work of the devil is the person who is not wrapped by the devil. The only person who can set you free from the devil is the one who is not under the power of the devil. He has to be outside of influence of the devil. That, that only person is the Son of God. He came from heaven sinless. Okay, so, let's talk about how Jesus Christ nullifies the work of the devil and set you free. First of all, he has to be blameless. And how is he blameless? The same word that God used to make heaven, that same word became flesh and dwelt with us. Now you be sitting there and you say, keep saying this. This is the gospel, people. This is the gospel. We will keep saying it until Jesus Christ comes back. This is the gospel. He became flesh and became one of us. The reason why he became flesh and became one of us because he has to be human because you're human. Let, let that sink in a little bit. God has to be Jesus, human, because you're human. Your human life for his human life. Because you're not God and therefore he can't come down here as God because you're human, so he must be human. That is why Jesus Christ, and we proclaim that Jesus Christ was 100% man. He was human so that he can take your place. And he lived his life blameless. There's nothing that he did that was in violation of the law, the negative aspect of Christ. What he did not do, meaning sin. Jesus Christ did not sin. Every one of us sinned, and therefore we belong to the sinner, which is the devil. Jesus Christ did not sin in his flesh, in the body, just like you and I, and therefore he does not belong to the devil. Now that's the negative point. What he did not do, he did not sin. The positive point is that he obeyed God perfectly, so there are two things that you have to do to be blameless. One is that the devil is called the accuser, cannot have any way or anything that you have done to accuse you of. So Jesus Christ did not sin and therefore the devil cannot accuse him because there's nothing in him to be accused of. The positive thing that Jesus did was he obeyed God perfectly. The thing that Adam failed to do was to obey God. That which Adam, the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam did it. And that he lived his life perfectly by in obedience to God. So negative, he did not sin. Positive, he obeyed God perfectly. And that made him blameless. Why does he need to be blameless? He needs to be blameless because of your sin. You and I, we sin. In the Old Testament, when you sin, you want to be forgiven of your sin. Something has to be Murdered. What has to be murdered? A spotless lamb. It has to be a spotless lamb. Blameless. They take that lamb and they kill that lamb with the blood. You can now have access to God where God will forgive you when you come to God. Jesus Christ was a blameless sacrifice. But then, who is the priest that takes him and sacrifices him? Jesus Christ was the priest. He was the sacrifice, and he offered himself for us. He did everything for us. He became the sacrifice of God. So God demands a perfect life to be a sacrifice for sinners. God demands a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus Christ lived his life perfectly so that he can be a sacrifice for us in the Old Testament. When you have sinned once a year on the Day of Atonement, a perfect lamb was sacrificed, actually not one, but two. One for the priest and one for the people. 
Did Jesus Christ need a sacrifice for himself? He doesn't, because he was perfect. He doesn't need to have a sacrifice for himself. And because the priest needs a sacrifice, and you need a sacrifice, and an animal is not a human being, then we have to do it every year. But Jesus Christ is eternal. He was blameless since the beginning. He only has to sacrifice himself once forever. So that's the difference. And Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. He became an eternal sacrifice for us. And not once a year, but eternally. He had redeemed us to God or for God. His sacrifice allows you and I to have access to God for forgiveness. But still, the devil still has power over you. So how did Jesus Christ broke this power from the devil? He did it at the cross. Jesus Christ broke the power of the devil at the cross, and this is how he did it. The blood that was shed on the cross, because without the shedding of the blood, there is no redemption. The blood has to be shed so that we can, by that blood, have access to God. And when you come close to God, the Bible says the devil will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and the devil will flee from you, James says. So as you come to God with the blood of the sacrifice, and you come close to God, the devil has to flee from you. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished two things. First, he atoned for your sin. His death becomes your death, my death, so that we don't have to die that death. He died that death for us. And number two, he offers his blood so that we can have access to God, and that is eternal life. So the death of God himself, Jesus Christ, offer us eternal life and offer us redemption and the devil can't touch us anymore because we are covered in the blood. That's how he was able to conquer the devil. The devil still has power. Even though he can't touch you, the devil still has power. And that power is, exists in the garden as it exists today. And that power is the power of persuasion. You see, notice in the garden, the snake never touched Eve, did it? It never touched Eve. It never wrapped Eve and pulled Eve to itself and forced Eve to eat the apple. It didn't, did it? What did it do? It just persuaded. The word. Always come back to the word. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you hearing? Persuasion is what caused you to draw away from God. It did in the beginning. It still continued to do it. The word. Be careful what you hear. Because the devil still has persuasive power, and that is why we fail in the first place. Now, how does Jesus break the power of the devil has over us? That is in his resurrection, the full gospel. His atonement, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus did for us, the devil, all that Jesus did for us, the devil can undo, but in death and in resurrection, the devil cannot undo that. Hebrew chapter 2 verse 14, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil. Jesus destroyed the work of the devil, and then in his resurrection, Jesus destroyed the devil himself. So we are finally free from the devil when we are resurrected with Christ. That is the final freedom that we have from the devil, is when we are resurrected with Christ. Now, Jesus nullified the power of the devil through his resurrection in the following ways. 
Okay, number one, death could not hold him in the grave. Meaning death, who has the power over death? The devil. Death could not hold him, meaning the devil could not hold him. In the form of a man, Jesus, he conquered death, meaning he triumphed over the devil. The devil has no power over him. Believers become servants of Christ and no longer subjected to the devil. Romans 6, 18 says, we are now servants to righteousness. Before you are servants to the devil, now you are servants to Christ. Can you be servant to no one? We'll talk about that. The devil may kill us in Revelation 2.10, but we believe by the resurrection power of God who raised up Jesus from the dead will also raise us from the dead. In the final triumph, all death and resurrection is the final triumph over the power of the devil. It has no power over us. Whom the Son set free is free indeed. Okay. So when you are set free, the Apostle Paul says that you are not your own. Before Christ, you were servant to the devil. Now, after Christ, you are you should be servant to Christ. You should be servant to Christ. Well, Romans 6, 18 said, Being made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. If you are free from sin, then you are servant to righteousness. Meaning, all you do, everything that we do, is righteous. Christ is risen from the dead, and this witness of his death and resurrection of the gospel that you have heard. So his resurrection from the dead Disciples witnessed that resurrection, had told the church, and throughout the millennia, we continue to tell each other, and I hope today and in the future, and you in the future continue to tell about his death and resurrection as a witness. And when you hear this, when you just heard what I said, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? If you believe that, then you have salvation. The power of Christ rests in you. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Before you are joined to sin, the devil and you are one. Now Christ has set you free. Now we have a choice. Are you, will you join to God and become one spirit with him or not? Jesus Christ set you free. John chapter 8 verse 36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, then you shall be free indeed. You are truly free. The sun set you free from the grip of the devil. You're free. But your remembrance of sin is still part of you. Everyone who has been saved still remember all the sin that they did, don't they? What is that remembrance of sin? The Bible tells you that remembrance of that sin is the devil still has power over you. Can remind you, can persuade you, can deceive you. It's still very likely to be deceived. The story of a man who had been possessed by the devil. Jesus set him free. What happened? Jesus warned. Be careful, because if the devil comes back, he won't be alone the next time. He's going to bring seven deadlier devils coming back, and there's nothing you can do. So be careful. When you are free, be careful, because now you need to make a decision. Who will you join to? There are some that will be blinded to the gospel. When you are in the bondage of sin, you cannot do anything except obey the devil. When you set free, you now have your eyes enlightened and you can, you can decide what you want to do. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, we are used to this verse. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. The person who is in the bondage of sin 
when they hear the gospel, they cannot believe. Only when you are set free from the bondage of sin, you hear the gospel, now you can believe. It's called grace. Grace, it is like God has chosen all of you here to hear the gospel and believe. That's grace. But there are many people who never hear. Even if they hear audibly, but they will never believe because they have no grace to believe. They're in the bondage of sin. How does that happen? God chose some for salvation. Does that mean that we should not preach to everyone? That does not mean we should not preach because we don't know who God has chosen. And the Lord says that preach to all. So by grace alone, you are able to hear. And by grace alone, that gives you the freedom. God has set you free. And now, now that by grace, you hear the word spoken by Jesus and believe him. Do you believe in him? You believe in what I'm telling you today? Or you're not paying attention at all? That's bad. I should be paying attention. If you believe in Jesus and his word, his word will set you free. And now you can decide. You're truly free from the tyranny of sin. You can decide not to sin or to sin. Not to hear the gospel or to hear the devil. You now have that freedom. You truly are free. So what will you hear? Will you hear the serpent or you hear the gospel? Now, you can say, what if I choose not to hear anything? Can you? Well, I'll call that ignorance. Look at verse 16. Know you not that he would join to a harlot is one body? You see, when you hear the word what here, ignorance. Ignorant is when we decide that we don't want to learn anything. Without knowledge, you will be destroyed. Study history, you will see. Ignorant is what wiped out a whole entire civilization. They didn't know. Look, those must be gods coming out from the coast there. So they welcomed the gods in, and what did the gods do? Wiped them out. Took over. Ignorance. What you don't know will kill you. Go out there. You see a berry, pick a berry, eat it. What happened? We might live, you might not. Ignorance is not bliss. Be careful. It's better to have an encyclopedia of what you can eat and what you can't eat when you're out there in the wilderness because what you don't know will kill you. We have the freedom to choose. You can listen to the serpent. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may be abound? Now Christ has set me free. So I'm free, right? Which means I can do whatever I want. No, that is ignorance. Ignorance will get you killed. You are set free so that you can serve God. God does not make you serve Him. God is not a taskmaster. He is not a slave driver. If you serve Him, you are willingly and freely choose to serve Him. He does not have a whip and tie you and say, Now you must serve me. That's not how God... He set you free so that you can say, I choose to serve you. That is the kind of servant. That's the kind of people that God is looking for. He's not looking for people who say, you must serve me. That's not God. God set you free so that you will be willingly said, I love you for what you have done for me. I am thankful and I want to follow you. I want to be your servant. That's what, that's the God that we serve. Not the God that said, you must obey me because I paid this price for you. That's not our God. He said, you're free. You have the freedom to turn and walk around and go to the devil if you want to. But remember, the word of God will tell you what happens. Your reasoning might be, when I was in bondage of sin, God grant me grace. So I continue to be in sin. God will give me more grace. Ignorance. 
That is crazy talk. Don't think like that. The Apostle Paul said, don't even think about it because only a child, only someone who has no understanding can even verbalize something I just said. We must be crazy to think that we continue to live in sin so that grace might be abound. The Apostle Paul said, I'm appalled. You, you, can you come, even come up with that? If you do sin, you are servant of the devil. You walk yourself right back to where the devil was. Can you choose to be neutral? Can you choose to be to live your life apart from God and apart from the devil? Can you do that? I give you three reasons why this can never be. Number one, Moses. Number two, Elijah. And number three, Jesus. Three great men in the Bible. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, he saw people worshiping the golden calf. And this is what he said. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Moses, there's only one side, the Lord's side. Elijah, at the altar, he did that great miracle. Fire came down from heaven. And this is what he said. Why halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord serve him, very clear distinction. Lord Jesus Christ says this. He that is not with me is against me. There is no Switzerland. There's no neutral ground. There's no me and no devil and no Christ. No, there's only Christ and no one else. If you're not with Jesus Christ, you are against him. Old Testament, New Testament, throughout history, we see that God did not change. If you're not with God, then you are against God. Listen to the gospel is the way that we can and be delivered from the temptation of the devil. Okay, don't listen to the serpent. When you listen to the gospel, the word of Christ purifies the hearer. If you listen to my word, my word will purify you. Okay, the gospel, this word, what you're doing right now, purify you as you're listening to the gospel. And transforming you to become more like what you hear, what you hear you become. The apostle says, rather than continue in sin, you should obey from the heart the doctrine that was delivered to you. Listen to the doctrine. The doctrine is what I'm delivering to you. Now, hopefully you learn it, and then hopefully you preach it. This is my hope, is that each one of you will learn this and then become preacher of the word. Every Christian has been commissioned to preach the gospel and to teach the doctrine of Christ. This is how the world will know and believe that we are the children of God, because we speak God. We transmit the word of God. And why is the apostle interested in setting us apart? But he that is joined unto the Lord flee from fornication. Every sin that is that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. When you listen to the gospel, when you're listening to the Bible, the Bible will tell you flee from fornication. What is fornication? Simply put, fornication is sin against the body. That is fornication. Fornication is the sin that came from your mind and your heart. Every sin that came from the outside is external to a man. Every sin that came from the inside out is inherent to the man. Fornication is sin that comes from the inside out. Okay, It came from your mind, you thought it, you conceive it, you meditate on it, and then you execute it. That is fornication. You heard of second and first degree murder? You know what the difference between the two? Simply put, if you are convicted of a first-degree murder, you have premeditated to kill someone and carry out that act. You thought about it, you plan it, and then you execute it. You will be convicted as a murderer of the first degree. It is depend on the state. You could have life in prison or you could be executed. Now, what is second-degree murder then? 
To put it simply, you did not meditate. You did not think about, plan, and kill someone. It just happened, you get into a stubble, and then you kill someone. Then you'll get convicted of a second degree murder. External influences cause you to kill someone. You did not premeditate it. Fornication is like first degree murder. Fornication is you thought it, you conceive it, you plan it, and you carry it out. That is fornication. The apostle tell you that flee from fornication. You might think that, oh, I'll never kill anybody. And I hope so. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about killing anyone? That thought is fornication when it executes. You might not carry out killing someone, but you might have it in your thought. And that thought is the seed that will could come out in reality. That is fornication. Sin is the result of fornication. It's in your heart and then it comes out. Why is the, the apostle talk about fleeing from fornication? Because whatever enters into the heart of a man comes into his mind, his heart, it will eventually come out. The Lord says this, didn't he? Clean the inside and then the outside will be clean. The external influences will not defile you. What comes from the inside of a man will defile a man. So clean the inside. Why is this important? When you flee from fornication and you are baptized, you get grafted into the church. If you have fornication, if you have evil thoughts, you will be bringing into the body of Jesus Christ these viral infection, this cancer that you bring with you into the body. And it begins to infect the body. And it spreads and it grows and it causes the body to be diseased. This is the reason. See, the Apostle Paul is interested in the body of Jesus Christ. He's in, interested in the sanctity of the body of Jesus Christ. He's interested in every branch and every graft into the body of Jesus Christ is pure and holy and without fornication. I don't have authority who gets grafted into the body. Think about someone coming to this church with malicious intent, going around, put it into the minds of each person, evil thoughts, causing division, dissension amongst the people here. When you think about this body in the near term and long term, we're going to fall apart. We start hating each other. We start accusing each other. So the Apostle Paul is talking about, let's sanctify ourselves. Let's get rid of these thoughts, these fornication that is in our thoughts that will defile the church. Think about what you say to each other. When you accuse someone in the church, you are causing division in the church. And that came from your mind, from your, from your heart, causing division in the church. That is fornication. You might not kill somebody, but actually you're bringing death to the body. You're causing the body to die. The Christian victory is submit yourself to God because we are told that we are the temple of God. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. If someone hits you and you hit him back, reaction. You should try to contain yourself, but sometimes it doesn't work. Somebody cuts you off out in the freeway and your blood boils and you cut him off. That is external. Now, now you start to think, I'm going to follow this person home. I'm going to terrorize this person. No way. I will make this person regret it. Now that thought is fornication. Be careful because external things can cause you to escalate and then it becomes internal. You start thinking about it and you start executing the thoughts that's inside. And, and the Apostle Paul says this, what? Don't you know that your body, this body, this mind, this heart is a temple of the Holy Ghost? Do you know that? If you are aware of that, then how can you allow those thoughts 
to penetrate and reside with the Holy Spirit which has given to us. How can we do that? He's incredulous. How can you think that you can have these evil thoughts not thinking that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is where the Holy Spirit is. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which you have of God. This is not something that you have on your own. God has given to you His Spirit. When you are grafted in the body of Jesus Christ, God's given you the Spirit of God. Some of you will be baptized. And remember this, when you are baptized into God, you have the Spirit of God. Your body is now the temple of God. These thoughts that come into your mind, you need to put a stop to it. And say, no, 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 no. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I cannot have these thoughts. No, they cannot go into my mind and be with me. Ignorance is fatal. You are defiling the temple of God. You are causing the temple of God to be defiled. And I'll tell you what happened when you defile the temple of God. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which you are. You are holy. Your thoughts should be holy. You should flee from any thoughts that cause the temple of God to be defiled. You hate anybody. Do you linger on that thought? You wish ill of someone. You linger on that thought. Think about that. Okay, when you defile God's temple, which the Holy Spirit is, the Bible, the Apostle Paul made it clear, God will destroy you. The devil, don't be afraid of the devil. Be afraid of God. I will never use the devil to scare you, but be afraid of God. It is a frightful thing to fall into the hand of an angry God. Ignorance. If you don't know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you live your life in such a way that defiles this temple, God will destroy you. Know you not. You are responsible for knowing your spiritual state. If you are the temple of God, then know that ignorance is not an option. You cannot say, I don't want to know. You have to know. It is your responsibility to know. Because Romans 1.19 will tell you, that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. Everything that God wants you to know, he showed you. You have a responsibility to know everything that God has given to us. We cannot appear at the judgment seat of God and say, but God, I didn't know. There is no excuse. God said, I have shown you everything. There is the word, there's the church. There's, hopefully, there's people like me been telling you. It is, it is frightful. But you know what? I'd rather, in my relationship to you, telling you things that are kind, that's nice. But the word of God is very explicit here. And when the word of God said, God will destroy those who defile his temple, that's the word of God. Be afraid, be fearful of that, and be conscious. Now, God is forgiving. Every sin that is without is forgivable. He said, flee from those thoughts that cause you to defile the temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Your body is the temple. Let me explain how that, how that works. Your physical body is the temple that the Spirit of God resides. Now, he doesn't need us, of course. He's with God. But when he's apart from God, he's with us. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is drawing us closer to God because the Spirit of God wants to return to God. Your body should be a holy place because that is where the Holy Spirit resides. What you do what you bring to your body, your, in your thoughts. Now, what about the stuff that I eat and drink? Does that matter? Yeah, it does matter. What you eat and what you drink changes your biological self, of course, and it also changes your brain. 
alcoholic, what happened to them? They're no longer in control of their behavior. Yes, what you drink, think about people who do drugs. The things that cause them to be addicted. So yes, be careful. Be careful of what you eat and drink. Be careful of your thoughts and your perception. Anything can affect you. We are the body of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, well, what do you think? Eating meat also affects your spiritual state? The Apostle Paul thinks so. He said, if I eat meat and I cause my brother to stumble, then by the glory of God, I stop eating meat. We should live our lives in response to how we are in relational with other people. We should be, our lives should be encouragement to other people. If we cause, if, because I eat meat and my vegetarian friend is stumbled because of me, and I'll stop. Because what I want to do is I want to preach Christ to them. And they can't even stand me because I love to eat meat and this is my right. I'm just gobbling down meat and whatever you are, I don't care. Then how can I preach Christ to those people around me? The apostle Paul says, I become all things to all men so that I might win some. This is how the Holy Spirit works in us. We become conformed to what he wants us to do. Think about the Son of Man. He was God. He became us. There's no greater dissension from anyone than God himself becoming man just like us. Let alone we say, oh, we can't do this and we can't do that just because we don't want to. No, the Holy Spirit should be the impetus that causes you to be all things to all men. Not that you become fornicators. Be careful of that. To a limit that you don't defile the temple of God. You are a member of the holy body, so live your body. Cause your body to be holy so that the body of Jesus Christ is holy, that you don't bring disease and poison into the body of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? You see, what you engage in, you become part of it. Joined to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit joined with you, you are now part of the Holy Spirit, and what you do is holy should be holy. And the Holy Spirit does not come to one person. The Holy Spirit is distributed through the church. I, myself, and the Holy Spirit is good enough? No. You need the church of God. Let me clarify that. In the time of the Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Lord told his disciples to wait for him until the Holy Spirit came. Now, where did they wait? Together in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. They could have waited at home individually, but that was not the commandment. You see, the Holy Spirit would not have been given to them if they were not together in the upper room. How long did they wait it? We don't know. But the fact that they waited tells us that they had faith in what Jesus Christ has said. He said, wait. They waited because they believed him. Faith is what we need. And they all came together. The Holy Spirit is given in the body of Jesus Christ because the body is the body of the Lord's. And where the body is, there's the Spirit of God. And God imparts the Spirit in the body of Jesus Christ, and we receive the Holy Spirit when we are in the body of Jesus Christ. Why am I saying this? We have come from a tradition where people come into the church and say, I have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God told me this, and the Spirit of God told me that. Wait a minute. What does the church say? What does the Word say? The Spirit might be talking to you, but here in the Bible and here in this church, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church as a whole. He communicates with everyone here, and we corroborate with each other. And that is why it's important that the church of God, we all come together, wait for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Think about the Apostle Peter. He got up and started speaking, and because he's moved by the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, um, I don't know, 
Um, I wasn't there. I, I didn't see the Holy Spirit come on you. So I'm not sure what you, this unity. The Holy Spirit came on everyone. And when Peter spoke, he spoke for everyone. Everyone had the same spirit. And spirit was given to us because we have been called to serve the Lord together in the body. We're not called by a single person. Remember, when the people were separated out for the job of waiting on tables, it was commissioned by the church. Laid hand, prayed for them, the Holy Spirit came upon them so that they can wait tables. It is the responsibility of the church to be united in the Spirit so that the Spirit can be dispensed to each individual to serve the body. And in verse 19, what you not know that your body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you are of God and which you are not your own. Now that you are part of God's family, now that the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are not your own. And what do you do? Everything that we do, you need to pray before you do everything. You need to ask the Holy Spirit. You need to ask the Lord. You need to come to the, the Bible. And more importantly, the church. Your important decision should be done here. If I decide to take a vacation, and I didn't tell anybody, next week you come here, what's going on? Is it just me that have this obligation, or is it everyone here has this obligation? I would say that everyone here has obligation, but then, you know what? Everyone has their own agenda, and we don't tell anybody. We take our vacation whenever we want, and then we come to church, and we have half the church missing. Is that the body? I, I don't think so. We are not our own. All decisions and our plans has to be corroborated with each other. Think about the church. Think about the body of Jesus Christ. Think about the Holy Spirit being in you as the person who resides in your temple. Think about the thing that you're going to eat. Would that cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved? Think about what you say. Would that cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved because you represent Christ and you say something that's not true or you say something that is against God? Would you hear a Christian curse the name of Jesus Christ? How could that be? How could someone have the Holy Spirit and curse and take the name of and take the name of Jesus Christ in vain, or even laugh when somebody take the name of Jesus Christ in vain. When you watch a movie, when you listen to these lyrics, you're singing along with these lyrics, and they're cursing God, and, and you're a part of it. Is the Holy Spirit in you enjoying that? Or do you think that you are defiling this temple? What happens when you defile this temple? The greatest testament to the world of God's glory is when you suffer for Christ. The Holy Spirit, the ultimate testimony is when we suffer for Christ when we do the hard thing, when we get ostracized, when someone takes the name of God in vain and we say, wait a minute, don't say that in front of me because I'm a Christian. And then they say, are you a fanatic? Because the Holy Spirit's in me. I cannot defile this temple. That is the greatest testament of God's glory because you fear God and you don't fear men. I'm going to close with this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness and always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be in life or by death. The Apostle Paul gives us this mode in which we should operate. Life or death, this body, this life will glorify God regardless. That's all we need to head toward and focus on. Am I there yet? No. Are we there yet? I hope we're on our way there. That's what I'm hoping. 